Last night I was laying in bed and I had a thought <laughs> uh, and I thought, oh, that'd be really good for the podcast. And I was like, ah, oh, I should write it down. And I, I try to keep some ideas in the notes app on my phone. But I was really, really tired. I thought, there's no way I'll forget this. It's totally fine. Um, but then I thought, no, okay, I'll write it down. So I wrote it down. And then this morning, or the, yeah, this morning I went to review it. I was like, yeah, this will be good because um, I'll record tonight and uh, it'll be great. <laughs> and I read it and I thought, ah, I don't know what I was thinking. I have no idea what I was thinking. Here's the note. It just says Trump slash, don't you know who I am? Question mark, question mark. And then I have an explanatory note that I don't remember if it's from that one or not. It, it then says, hard to be excited about the resurrection when it doesn't seem to be changing the way we behave or things around us. That thought I get. That that in some ways ties into the current events. It ties into the realities we see around us all the time. There, there are moments when it feels like the resurrection, well, go ahead and pick up your stones now. It feels like the resurrection was for naught, right? The world doesn't feel changed. I don't actually believe that long term. I don't believe it as an underlying belief, but there are moments when I despair in that direction. But I don't know why I wrote Trump slash don't you know who I am. I know how I feel about things politically. I know sort of how I lean. I know my frustrations with the current state of affairs as it pertains to the White House. But I don't know why I wrote that. So... If it ever comes back to me, maybe we'll talk about it. But not tonight. My name's Steven, and this is Get Tucked. I don't trust this man podcast. Don't Trust This Man, uh, seven years ago, six years ago now, it was actually started as a result of a conversation between myself and my son, really a family conversation, about a particular story from the Bible. And that story escapes me now. I think it's the one where the king steals the neighbor's vineyard, garden? I don't remember now. Anyway, we had a really good conversation about it, and... Um, Jonah, my son mentioned it might be fun to sort of do a video thing where we talked about Bible stories and Jesus stuff. And then it, from there it kind of grew. I started talking about politics and all kinds of other things. Anyway, fast forward to today. I don't know how it came up, but we were talking about dancing, uh, sorry, David dancing before the Lord, uh, making a fool of himself. I think. M I or my wife mentioned David dancing naked before the Lord. That's actually not how the story is told, best we can tell. But that really piqued the curiosity of, um, again, my son, just sort of thinking about all the stories in the Bible that you don't hear a, a ton about. And then uh, we were commenting that, especially in Pentecostal circles, you do hear about that story for a particular reason. I'll get to that in a minute. So anyway... Uh, we determined, we decided that maybe once a week we might dive into here on Get Tucked, maybe dive into just a Bible story, a little Bible story time with Get Tucked. <clears throat> Get scriptural on Get Tucked. 
And so I thought we'd start with the story in question, David dancing before the Lord. I think it's Second Samuel. I, I don't have it in front of me. I have the I have today's Psalm in front of me, but I don't have the story. I think it's Second Samuel, maybe Second Chronicles, Second Samuel, maybe both. They're both historical books. Anyway, I think it's Second Samuel six. You can check me and email me and tell me it's wrong and pray for me to get better at reading the Bible and retaining what I read. Uh, so the ark is coming back to. Um, be amongst the people of God, amongst the Hebrews, are coming back to Israel. Um, and David is king of Israel, a united Israel, if I'm not mistaken. And he's married, I believe, to Michael, M-I-C-H-A-L, the daughter of Saul. The ark has been in captivity. It's been uh, away from home, so to speak, for decades it's a really big deal that it's being returned. It's a, it's a cause for celebration. And the Bible says that um, David danced before the Lord, uh, depending on the translation or how well you do or don't speak or understand or read Hebrew. And I don't at all, so I use reference materials. Uh, dance might be like uh, skipped, hopped, sort of jumped, just kind of, you know. Um, general, a general demonstration of excitement. David danced before the Lord. Um, Michael wasn't impressed, thought it was kind of um, undignified. You do hear people say that he danced naked. I think the Bible says he danced in a linen ephod, which was part of priestly attire. And so I think the notion is that David would have disrobed or would have taken off kingly attire to sort of express his excitement. Um sort of from within a priestly role versus a royal role. Um, it might have been a simple garment, but it was. I think it's less about nudity and more about um, sort of behaving below your office. David gets home, and Michael's like, yeah, you looked like an idiot. King. Um, what were you thinking? And David says... Uh, I would do. I would behave even in an even more undignified way, if I could, or I will, whatever. It's sort of the notion being, um, I have just, I, I have not yet begun. <laughs> in the words of Doc Holliday, I've not yet begun to defile, defile myself. I've not yet begun to be undignified because, in being undignified as an act of worship, or um, over the, in the course of behaving worshipfully, is worth it. Who cares about dignity when you're worshiping? Uh, that's commentary, probably that last bit, but it actually is a good segue because you know it's not a particularly complicated story. And then the Bible says that Michael was barren all of her days. You, you hear people very much draw a straight line, right? See, she said Dave was undignified, and God closed her womb. That feels super petty, doesn't it? it? It's interesting to me thinking about the Old Testament, not just and I've mentioned this before. I think not just being about how God relates to his people, but also about how his people relate to God. You, you do wonder, maybe, maybe the writer of the text may have wanted the reader of the text to join dots that God didn't mean to be joined. Because um, you think about it. I mean, I don't have any answers here, but did, did God in the person of Christ become that much less petty, right? I don't know. Something to think about. Maybe for a later date. 
you hear about that in Pentecostal circles, that story, because people often talk about how important it is to be undignified in worship. In fact, you're not truly worshiping if you're not sort of undignified. I think that, again, is sort of um, missing the point a little bit. What's the, what's the primary point of the story? The primary point of the story is that the ark was returned, and David was so grateful and so focused in his adoration and his worship that how he looked and how he was perceived didn't matter. I think that much is true. I think, that, I think that is fair to say, that is fair for us to take as maybe even encouragement today that if you are, <laughs> to borrow from the business world, laser focused on the Lord, how other people think of you or think of that may not be important. I think that's, I think that's reasonable. There are times in the life of a Christ follower when worshiping or obeying or following or listening to or attempting to understand God can feel a bit nonsensical and folks may have really strong opinions about it. And it might be in those moments that the best thing is to stay focused on God because opinions can be tricky, sure. But for someone to use that passage to make you feel bad because you're not lifting your hands in worship or because you're not clapping loud enough or because you're not acting like um, you've lost control of your senses, I think is foolishness and proof texting, and I think it's manipulative. And I don't believe manipulation is part of the good news of the gospel of Jesus the Christ, our risen Savior. I just don't. I don't know. My hermeneutics aren't great, probably. And there are millions, if not billions, of people in this world who know and understand Holy Scripture far better than I do. But I feel really bold to stand up straight and say that if you're being manipulated in the name of Jesus, Jesus isn't actually involved. So there you go. On this Easter. A risen Savior, yes. An untamed Savior, to borrow from C.S. Lewis, yes. A Savior whose actions or inactions can be confusing and confounding, sure. But a Savior who manipulates? No, I think not. Psalm 118, verses 1 through 2 and 14 through 24. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not give me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. May you tonight be free from the manipulations of men. And may you have strength to mourn with those who mourn, strength to weep with those who weep, and strength to rejoice with those who rejoice. And may you also have peaceful rest and sweet dreams.